What's going on, everybody? It's Pitch Count Podcast here with me, Pete, and Chris. You can follow me at, at Pete B Baseball on Twitter. You can follow Chris at, at Chris W underscore sports. Chris, you're back from your tiny home. What's going on, man? Um, yeah, just you know, enjoying the the regular sized world. Um, you know, just kind of stepping out of the tiny and into the normal normal sized things. It's it's you know, it's an adjustment, but I'm I'm getting used to it. You know, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. So for everyone that's wondering what the heck are we talking about, well, Chris wasn't here last week. Ian and John filled in, um, and Chris was hanging out in a tiny home on vacation. So uh, pretty cool stuff, man. Yeah, and they filled in quite handsomely. So I'm I'm pretty proud of the work that all three of you did uh, while I was on my mini vacay. Oh, they're a they're a pair of bubs, man. You know. <laughs> um, so yes. we got this is this is a sad week, Chris, because it's the last week of our fantasy regular season. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's sad. Um, there's a few teams, myself included, that are fighting for that last playoff spot. So it's going to be kind of crazy to see what happens um, with the rest of the night. Uh, there's still some games left, so hopefully some good things happen. But yeah, it's it's a little it's a little bittersweet, you know. Even if you are making the playoffs, it's kind of like, oh well, we're already at playoffs. Like it's it's a little sad, but you know what? I'm just glad that we got any form of a season in in general. Oh, same man, totally. And it's it's worth bringing up what is going on in our our league here, where a member of our league just posted in our Discord chat that with four hours basically left in the day, there's four teams that could all finish at exactly a 500 winning percentage, and we don't know how the tiebreaker is going to be decided because we're kind of at the mercy of ESPN, where normally it would be decided by your head-to-head record but because it was a shortened season we only played our divisions so these teams that finish with a tie that are not in the same division they won't have a record against each other then the next tiebreaker would be your inter-division or intra inter intra i don't know your record against your own division mates but since you only played your division that's what your record is and your record is 500 so i have no idea how they're going to decide who makes our playoffs and who does not if everybody finishes at 500 but chris is hoping he makes it in yeah i'm just hoping to be one of those uh lucky few so we'll see if i'm i don't know i'm i'm thankful that i you know i don't normally do this but i took a lot of dodgers this year and you know they're my favorite team so they play the latest game of the night tonight so i'm hoping that you know some fireworks happen or something i don't know anything it's a pretty good team to have a lot of players from and uh yes. anyway let, let let's take it to our our listeners team sorry to ramble on there but i thought what's going on in our league is particularly interesting <laughs> yeah everyone's um, like we don't we don't care what's going on with you guys we need help with our fantasy teams so exactly. <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> But sometimes we just can't help it. Yeah. Um, so some notes just from the week. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you one player who is way overperforming our expectations and one who is severely underperforming our expectations. So Ian Happ, he's hit five home runs over the last seven days and hit 400 over that time period. He's owned in 88.3% of the ESPN leagues and he's hitting 310 with 12 home runs on the seat. 310 with 12 home runs. Ian Happ. On the other hand, Christian Yellick, he had 227 over the same seven days. 
raising his average to 206. He did steal two bags, which doubled his season total to four. So, Chris, in your mind, next year, looking at 2021, is Hap a top 100 pick and is Yellick a top 10 pick next year? Two different questions. Yeah, and my answer, I think, is going to be the same for both. Um, I feel quite strongly that they are both a yes, um, and I'll tell you why for each of them. So for Ian Happ, it's pretty simple, and honestly, in my opinion, it's just that this is a continuation of last year's success. You know, last year he spent, I want to say, maybe even the first half of the season down in the minors working on that swing of his because his 2017 and his 2018 was just awful. He struck out over 30% of the time. He couldn't hit for average. He had some pop, obviously. Um but, you know, he was also kind of struggling with what position he was going to play in the field. So, you know, maybe that kind of entered his mind, um, his mindset. Um, but last last season, 2019, he cut his strikeout rate um, down to 25 percent instead of like the 36 percent that he had his first two years. And that's carried over into 2020. Um, he's striking out at around 25 percent, which isn't great. Don't get me wrong. But in today's game, it's, it's perfectly fine to strike out 25 percent of the time. Some of the league's best hitters strike out 25 percent of the time. Um, I, I would say even, you know, like the league's premier hitters, a lot of them strike out 25 percent of the time. So that's pretty much just the key, I think, for Ian Happ is if he can keep making contact. I don't know if he's going to be a 300 hitter, but I don't see why he can't hit something like 270 or 280 on any given season. Um, and he's going to have a lot of pop, and he does have a little bit of speed, so he's going to get you some stolen bases. He's not going to net you a ton, but it's not going to be a total zero for the category. So in my opinion, yeah, I mean, he's even walking at a crazy level. I think he's walking at like 15% clip, like – in my opinion, he's a no-brainer top 100 pick. I would say maybe even top 75 player next season. So I, I hear you. I like Hap as well. Um, I like when you see players make strides in different areas each season, right? Last year, it was a huge, like you said, boost. Well, I shouldn't say boost. A huge decrease in his his K percentage going from 36.1 in 2018 to 25 last year. And he's maintained that just a smidge better this year. Um but this year, his, his launch angle is actually down almost a full seven degrees. And he's hitting the ball almost 20% harder for hard hit percentage. So his hard hit percentage is 55% this year. It was 38.2 last year. I think that probably has to do with, obviously, whatever adjustments he's made with his swing. I think he's just seeing the ball a lot better. Some little bit of regression that I might expect from him is that He's still, for some reason, pitchers are still throwing this guy fastballs like 58% of the time. To this point, he's had an expected batting average of 344 on fastballs. Now, expected batting average isn't exactly predictive, but to this point, I mean, come on, he's his expected slugging is 711 against fastballs. So I think, you know, as pitchers begin to throw more breaking and off speed stuff, sort of like what happened to uh, Jesus Aguiar last year, where he had that huge breakout in 2018. And then pitchers sort of destroyed him with breaking balls. Um, I don't expect that much of a drop off for Hap, obviously. And this is a player who we've always seen this potential with. But I do wonder when we start to see more breaking and off speed pitches thrown towards Hap, um, if we do see a decrease in these numbers. And again, like all these guys, and like I'm sure we're about to talk about with Yellick, we do have to really be careful with the size of the sample um, because we've had we've seen guys have monster first halves and then become absolutely irrelevant in the second half in the past countless times. Um, and all we really have to work with for this entire season is about a half a season worth of numbers, even less. 
Um, so just worth keeping in mind, uh, but I'm with you. I, I like Hap probably top 100. I'd, I'd probably feel more comfortable taking him just outside just because I, I don't, I think he's only going to be outfield eligible next year. Do you know if that's true, Chris? Yeah, I, I think he isn't he only outfield eligible right now, I think. Oh, he might be. I thought he had um I thought he still had second base, but I think no, he I might don't. actually ever Yeah, I think he's pretty much exclusively around. there. But you know what, in all honesty, the position knock it does kind of stink. Obviously, you know, he used to have um second base eligibility, but like I'm just happy that that dude found a position cuz he looks more comfortable and when you're more comfortable in the field, you're more comfortable at the plate. I mean, you look at those stat cast sliders, they're ridiculous. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I like Hap. So what about Yellick? You're still taking him top 10 next year? I think I am. Um, you know, I would still take him over Harper because he had, I think he's got the speed edge. Um, you know, although Harper stole two bases today, so I'm kind of eating my own words there. But I, I do like Yellick's base stealing ability a little bit more. I still think I'd take him over Arenado or any of the aces, to be honest with you. So I think I would still draft him top 10. I mean, his another guy just like Hap, whose um, stat cast sliders are just ridiculous. Doesn't really, you know, his ex batting average like is I think like around like two forty. So that you know, what I mean, he's backing up what he's doing with his contact skills, which is not a good thing. But everything else, it looks like he's you know hitting the ball extremely hard. Still, um, it looks like he's barreling up plenty of times. Yeah, his exit velocity and his hard hit are both 95th percentile, 98th percentile. Um, that X batting average is just kind of like showing us that maybe the contact isn't there right now. But like you said, it's such a short sample size that who's to say if he got another 60 games, and it wouldn't even be another 60 games, he'd get another 100 games. If he got another 100 games, who's to say that he couldn't turn it around? So I think I'm still going to draft Christian Yelich in the top 10. I would 100% still take him in the top 10. I think the thing that jumps off the page is the strikeout rate, right? I mean, he's striking out nearly 30% of the time, which is by far the highest number of his career. And that can raise some concerns for, is he just, is he not catching up to fastballs? Is this, is he turning into like Paul Goldschmidt, right? Like Goldschmidt, people started to cool on a few years ago because it looked like he just literally couldn't square up fastballs anymore. They were just blowing him by him. But his expected batting average on fastballs at this point is 283. Um, I think I think he's seeing the ball fine. I think he can still catch up to it fine. Um, he's just having a little bit of trouble uh, with those other pitches, and I think it's a lot of bad luck. Milwaukee just stinks, especially their offense. Heroes underperformed. Um, they just released Smoke, who you know some people like myself had some expectations for Justin Smoke in Milwaukee, but he's been DFA'd. So. I think it's just been a rough season in Milwaukee and I expect Yellick to be right back at where we expected him to be in 2021. So for Chris half top 100 for me, I'd, I'd like him just outside Yellick though. We're both still taken in the top 10. We'll of course have rankings and stuff like that during the off season, but um, just sort of the early feelings about next year, we're still hundred percent in on Mr. Yellick. Chris, Eugenio Suarez has homered four times in his last six at bats. He's back, right? Yeah. I, okay. So I'm, this is where I'm kind of having an issue is like, I guess I would like to say he's back, but what he is exactly back to, I think is less than people's initial expectations of him. You know, I, I think back to our draft and he was, he was even coming off an injury, but yet he's still drafted 81st overall overall in uh, front of guys like Nelson Cruz, DJ LeMahieu, who albeit was hurt, but you know, he's back now. Nick Castellanos has looked incredible. JT Real Muto and Jeff McNeil. I mean, these guys are all superior batters, I think, than 
Eugenio Suarez, they just don't for, hit for as much power and not all of them are third base eligible, which I think adds a little bit to the appeal of him. Look, I still think that he's a 50 bomb threat every single year, but the people that I would compare him more to would be like Miguel Sano and Kyle Schwarber, who are going a little bit later than Eugenio Suarez was. And so, you know, I just think that that's pretty much it. He's, he's an elite power threat, but he's got very limited contact skills. Um, he has a 190 BABIP right, right now, which I expect to go up. So I do believe that he's not a 200 hitter, but I don't know if he's much better than a 240 hitter. So, um, yeah, he's he's definitely back, but, like, I don't know if the expectations of him were a little too high. Does that make sense? It does. I, I tend to like him – guys like him a little bit more than some of those other names that you listed just because he's had so much success in the past – I think like you brought up the BABIP and it's a great point. He's had a lot of bad luck this year. He's actually striking out less, hitting more line drives and barreling the ball more than he was last year. So it's really weird to see his numbers so far down. Um, But you're right. He kind of is what he is. A third base is a deep position. He's a power threat. He's not really going to hit for any kind of average. He's not bringing anything to the table in regards to speed. Um, But especially playing in a park like Cincinnati, Um, and as bad as their offense or inconsistent, I should say, as their offense has been this year, I like the talent there. So I think he's a good get. Uh, He's a guy I want to have on my team. Um, I'm definitely not thinking, I'm not looking at that 204 average and thinking like, oh, wow, this is who Eugenio Suarez is. But I'm also not being delusional and thinking he's like some 300 hitter. It is good to see him hitting the ball though. Um, another guy who I, I have thought has been overhyped ever since he was called up um wasn't really a top prospect just i i didn't get it but he's kind of making kind of making me eat my words now i again i i, I want to temper my expectations on small sample sizes because we all overreacted about brandon lau and he's three for his last 36 but reese hoskins has homered seven times in his last 11 games chris are you buying this power surge and believe that he's breaking out or are we still being a little cautious here how do we feel about hoskins I I believe what he's doing to a degree, but I don't think that he's going to explode into like some kind of like top 30, top 40 hitter. Um, but I, I do believe that last season was a little bit of a down year than what um, Reese Hoskins is capable of. Um, he's hitting 265 right now, which is a, a good number. And I think that you'd be really excited to see it in the years in the future. But I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a 265 hitter, um, given his plate discipline and his contact skills. He's, he's swinging a little less and he's walking a little more. And that's always really a good sign for me that you can buy into what a player is doing because, you know, they're, they're showing a propensity for getting on base and they're swinging less at pitches um, either in the zone or out of the zone. I think it's always better to swing a little bit less. I, I think that major league hitters today, they swing too much. I, I don't think that that's a disputable fact. I think that that's an indisputable fact, but um, he's improved a little bit on his K percentage, uh, which actually I was looking back at and it's like, it's never really been that high. You know, he's always struck out at like 25 or less percent this year. He's striking out, I think around like 20%, which is really, really good. I think for a player like Reese Hoskins, who's not going to be a huge average, um, boost, but I think that if, you know, he only strikes out 20% of the time, he's going to get the bat on the ball a decent amount. And if he does have power, even with limited contact skills, he's going to get the ball out of the yard a decent amount of times. So I don't know if he's going to be a 30 or 40 homer guy, but I would say 25 plus is a safe bet in a full year. So I don't know. I think I have 
cautious optim- optimism for Reese Hoskins. I don't. How do you feel? So in a standard five by five, we're saying that Reese Hoskins is a first baseman who hits 250 with 25 homers. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm, I'm I'm really not that excited about him. I know I know first base is kind of thin relative to how it used to be years ago. Um, but I, I, I can't, I'm not going to go back on everything I've felt to this point based on like one hot month. Um, and I know that's not exactly hot analysis, but he, look, he gets on base. He'd be terrific for a league like, like we're in, or, or maybe like a points league where, you know, getting on base matters a little bit more, but he's, he's slightly overperforming his expected numbers. And again, there's not a lot of pedigree here. I think part of it was like, maybe we just lowered our expectations for him so much. And part of that was because, yes, he was bad in 2020, but the Phillies' offense as a whole was atrocious. I'm sorry, in 2019. So now to see him like all of a sudden hitting a little bit in 2020, maybe now we're swinging too far in the other direction where we're like, oh, no, he actually is good. We, we slept on him. I think he's fine. Um, I think I'd rather have Eric Hosmer. What about you, Hosmer or Hoskins? I think I would rather have Hoskins because I feel like I know who – Hosmer is at this point although he you know he's having a decent year this year actually I haven't really checked out on Hosmer that yeah, I was recently. gonna say you'd be a little surprised with with the adjustments that Hosmer's made well no I I know that he's made yeah he's hitting 286 of course with eight home runs um I knew that he had made some launch angle adjustments um at the beginning of the at the, of the season um and I don't know if that's honestly the only situation that he would need to fix in order to like sustain career high numbers at this point of his career. But I do feel like Reese Hoskins is stepping into like his prime power age. So I don't know. I think I might be hopeful that Reese Hoskins works out to be, how about this? I think maybe in a redraft Hosmer in a dynasty, I'm, I'm going to go Hoskins. Oh, for sure. I'd, I'd lean the same way in those different okay. situations. Um, Hosmer's, um, baseball savant page is beat red. I mean, he, he's crushing the ball this year. He did increase his launch angle to an absolute career high at 8.7. His previous career high was 3.8 degrees in 2017. Um, so he's more than doubled that. It's resulted in a much higher slugging percentage. He's even striking out less, which I, that's got to be a difficult adjustment, especially for a hitter who's been around as long as Hosmer has, you know, kind of set in your ways to make this drastic change in launch angle and then also strike out seven percent less than you did last year i mean that's that's kind of interesting although i guess the 17 is closer in line with his career than uh his 2019 number that kind of looks like an outlier i think 2019 was just kind of a tough year for the for the padres and for the phillies offenses and i think we're seeing both those offenses come around and it's helping out not just hoskins and hosmer but harper and machado i think this is you know hitting is contagious um, kind of like that old school saying, but it really is true. And I, I think Hosmer and Hoskins are both reaping the benefits. Let's continue on this theme of first baseman, Chris. Um, even though I guess Ryan Mountcastle is not just a first baseman, he's got outfield and third base eligibility on ESPN. But Chris, Ryan Mountcastle homered Friday. He's hitting 367 with three homers and 11 RBI in just 49 at bats. That's a pretty awesome debut. Joey Votto's hit safely in eight of his last nine games, homering three times and raising his average to 235. Who are you taking the rest of the season, Votto or Mountcastle? Um, Mountcastle. Yeah, pretty pretty simple. Um, you know, we could dig a little deeper, but 
you know, Mount Castle is just showing us what the future in Baltimore could be. And I think that they have some really good talent that's coming up um, like himself. And I think that he just, he's a, he's a really good contact hitter. Um, and in their stadium, that's always a good thing. You're going to get a lot of power boost just due to Camden yards in general. So anybody that hits for a lot of contact, you, you were seeing it with a guy like um, Anthony Santander, just able to make ridiculous contact on the ball and able to barrel it up. And, you know, Mountcastle has shown that he can get the barrel on the ball in, in this very limited sample size. And so he's going to hit the ball out of the park a decent amount of times. And I think that he's going to hit you for a good average. I mean, you just said it yourself. Joey Votto just raised his average up to 235. You know, I, I know that I know that he's having a renaissance year at 235, but <laughs> I don't know. I think that the rest of the fantasy <laughs> industry is just kind of like giving this guy like the golden ticket for nothing that spectacular. I I, I agree. I've completely cooled on Joey Votto. Um and I, I like Mountcastle. Something I'd like to see from Mountcastle, he's hit a lot of ground balls. Um, and he actually has decent speed for, you know, a guy who's come up kind of as a power hitter. At the same time, you know, with a launch angle of 4.3 degrees so far. And I, don't, I feel like bringing up launch angle this much is is maybe a little bit over the top. Um, but nevertheless, it, it does stick out. You know, see a 4.3 degree launch angle and he's hitting ground balls basically 50% of the time. I'd like to see that adjustment. Um, but even with that, He's still, you know, hitting for power. He's hitting for average. He's got a 946 OPS. I like Mountcastle, especially in Camden Yards. So let's rank these uh, four first base eligible players, Chris. Reese Hoskins, Eric Hosmer, Ryan Mountcastle, Joey Votto. What's your order? I think I would go Reese Hoskins. Or no, I'm sorry. I think I would go actually Eric Hosmer, Ryan Mountcastle, Reese Hoskins, and then Joey Votto. Yeah, I agree with that order, I think. I like that order. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's table the first baseman for now, Chris. Um, I'll, let's do another rank real quickly. Okay. We have four rookie starting pitchers that I want to talk about. Now, there's rookie starting pitchers across the league that are lighting the league on fire. Um, but I feel like there's four that haven't, at least the first two, maybe haven't got talked about quite as much because they are now just emerging onto the scene with jobs. Um, actually, all these guys really are. David Garcia, Tony Gonzalez, Dane Dunning, Ian Anderson. Now, I'm not asking you to rank these for like a dynasty or anything like that. If it was a dynasty, I would definitely take Ian Anderson for the record. Um, and maybe he's your pick anyway. But rest of season, rank those four starting pitchers. Rest of season, I would go Gonzalez, Anderson, Dunning, Garcia. If it was dynasty, I would switch Anderson and Gonzalez. So why Gonzalez over Anderson for this season? So they're very, 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 very close. Um, let me just put that out there. But I chose Gonsolin because I think that he's at this point of his career a little bit more of a refined pitcher and he's on a better team. So I would I would think I would want to have that going forward for the rest of the season, especially because, I mean, we're in playoffs. So it's like you want these guys that, you know, Gonsolin's whip is just ridiculous. <laughs> like he doesn't get hit. And he just doesn't walk a lot of guys. So I think I want that approach heading into the last bit of this fantasy season. And going forward, I think that you and I can both agree that Ian Anderson is the bat misser. He has that curve and that change up. And that's just going to induce a lot more whiffs than Gonsolin's arsenal. That really just relies mainly on the fastball, but also heavily on that splitter, which induces a lot of weak contact. Dunning is pretty intriguing to me. Um, you know, but 
I think the reason why I wouldn't rank him as high as Gonsolin or Anderson, at least for this season, is because we saw that he had that premature exit during his no hitter, and it doesn't really look like Chicago has the cons the, the confidence to give him a full starter's workload. And you know, even if he remains a starter, so I, I don't know if I'm buying exactly Dane Dunning being somebody that I can rely on for five, six innings at a time at this point. Um, and with Garcia, I don't, I don't really understand it um, that much. He throws his fastball, at least in his two outings over 60% of the time, and he's not getting shellacked. I don't really know how that, that that's possible um, because it comes in at around 92 or 93 miles per hour. So yeah, um, he's in Yankee stadium. I don't really understand how, he hasn't gotten murdered on 60% fastballs, but I mean, he's looked good up until this point. So all four of these pitchers, I would be very, very excited to own in dynasty leagues. So um, that would be my ranking for this season. It would be Gonsolin, Anderson, Dunning, Garcia for um, dynasty. I would have Anderson top with Gonsolin, Dunning and Garcia following. So I'm a little bit different for this season on Gonzalez. I'm very worried about that Dodgers schedule there. They got the Diamondbacks. And now I, I, I didn't see which games Gonzalez is going to get. But after the Diamondbacks, we can all agree are pretty bad. Um, they've got the Astros. Then they go to San Diego. Then they go to Coors. Then they have the Athletics at home. And then they have Mike Trout at home. Um, so I'm, I'm a little cool on Gonsolin. I like Ian Anderson's schedule a little bit more, and I just like Ian Anderson's arsenal a lot more. I think Anderson's going to be a stud. I'm probably going to be drafting him as a top 40 starting pitcher next year, and obviously if he finishes out this season extremely strong, it's only going to get better from there. Um, I do have Gonsolin second, though, really for the same reasons as you. I don't really trust the last two names. I think the talent is real with Dane Dunning, and I much prefer his stuff to Davey Garcia. Um but I don't know how you can feel all that comfortable with either of those names. Um, particularly if the Yankees start to get healthy, David Garcia has a bad outing or two. He could get bumped from that uh, rotation pretty quickly. Um, and like you said, the stuff just, I don't think it's that impressive. I like his curveball; It has a lot of movement. Um, it was definitely fooling hitters up there, but you're not going to survive throwing, like you said, that many fastballs at such a low velocity. Um, not really that, highly touted of a prospect, not that big of a guy. Like I just, I'm cooling on Davey Garcia um, for now. I'm not really buying into the hype and the the Yankee tax that's going to go with that. I do like Dunning, but I think my ranking would be Anderson, Gonzalez, Dunning, and Garcia. Cool. So uh, a veteran starting pitcher, not necessarily a a rookie, uh, Lance Lynn. Definitely not a rookie. Definitely not a rookie. Definitely not a rookie. Over his last two outings, 12 innings pitched, 13 hits, five walks, nine earned runs, three home runs, and he's lost both of those outings. Now, that was the Dodgers and the Astros. So, like, you got to be fair here with opponent. But with a name who kind of some people have felt like he's been overperforming for a long time now. Is, is he beginning to come down to earth a little bit or am I overreacting to a pair of bad outings? Like, look, the fastball is completely legit. It's elite. Um, but at some point, maybe it just adds up. Lance Lynn goes out there and throws over a hundred pitches. Like every single, he's a horse. Most times when you think like, Oh, the starting pitcher is going to get pulled. If it's Lance Lynn, he usually goes one more inning than when you get that feeling, if you know what I mean. So 
I have a lot of respect for Lance Lynn. I, as you know, I roster him this year in our league. I'm a big fan, but I had an offer on the table of Kyle Tucker straight up for Lance Lynn. And I, I don't know if I'm regretting it because pitching is so thin, but I'm really not feeling great about rejecting that offer. So where are you at on Lance Lynn? Um, if we were to rank it on a 10, I would say that my concern level is about a five. Um, you know, you did mention the, the strength of the, the two opponents he had during that rough stretch and during the game against the Dodgers, he only allowed three runs. So the only real issue I, I think was the Houston start. Um, but my concern level is still at a five because Texas is just not a very good team. And if Lynn isn't going to be literally blowing people away with his fastball, he's not in a good situation to succeed. He needs to hold teams to like one or two runs to give his offense, at least like a little bit of a chance of keeping up with the opponent right now. He hasn't, getting that done and the worst part of all is because he's struggling with the fastball his bread and butter um it's getting hit and it's getting hit hard um this is his best pitch and he relies on it because his secondaries he doesn't throw he's been throwing his secondaries actually more often this year than he has in years past but he doesn't throw them particularly often so he really needs the fastball to help complement them so if that's not going well his secondaries aren't going to be working as well as they could be either so I don't know. I'm not overly concerned because I think that anybody that was performing up to Lance Lynn's um, statistical line anyways, they, they're they going to come down to earth at some point. There's not pitchers that can go complete, you know, it's very rare that pitchers have like, what, what did he have? Like a 1.5 ERA before these two starts. It was ridiculous. It was, it was around there. Yeah. I, I think it was a little bit higher, but yeah. So I, I am concerned a little bit because, you know, he's just – I was actually kind of hoping that he got dealt because he's just not on a really good team. So if he's not literally, like, striking out 10 batters and keeping his opponents to, like, one or two runs a game, he's just not going to win a lot of games. And his value is going to take a little bit of a hit because so much of him is reliant on the fact that he goes seven-plus innings and he gets those quality starts and he gets those wins for you so frequently. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, to this point in the season, that fastball is the 10th best fastball in the sport um, behind Bauer, Wheeler, Gonzalez. Yes. Marco Gonzalez, well, Gilito, Freed, Gallon, Andrew Heaney, uh, Jacob deGrom, Aaron Nola. And then you have Lance Lynn. Um, so, you know, I think the fastball is going to work. I think he's going to be fine. I will say the Rangers have 21 games left on the schedule. One third of them seven of them are against the Astros. Um, so, you know, depending on how many times he draws them, will probably dictate how I feel. There's also a, a big set of games in there against the athletics. They got a four game set. Um, and then basically all of the other games are against Mike Trout. So he's got his work cut out for him. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to jump ship based on one bad start against the Astros. And I don't even know why I use the term jump ship. If he's on your roster right now, you've got him for these final three weeks or whatever it is. Another pitcher, we might have concern about another guy with an elite fastball Garrett Cole. Uh, he has a 2.25 home runs per nine inning. Uh, and that's the second worst in baseball. You do not want to be in the same sentence as this guy only second to Matt Boyd, who I know is coming around, but I will not come around on him. Cole's FIP is 4.63. Even his strand rate looks a little high. It's 83%. Are you concerned about Cole in a dynasty and looking to sell, or is this a blip in the radar? Because if Cole 
like, look, we say sell Garrett Cole and that sounds ridiculous. No one actually thinks he stinks. But if this is like, if Garrett Cole is all of a sudden becoming like a third, fourth rounder and he's no longer a first rounder, this may be your last opportunity to get first rounder value for him. I know the 83% strand rate sounds high, but keep in mind, guys who are better pitchers strand more hitters on base because they're better pitchers. Same thing with his low BABIP. Like you might look at the BABIP and say, ah, oh, that looks a little low, but that's because it's Garrett Cole. It's not easy to generate good contact, get the ball in play in an effective way against Garrett Cole. See, based on my tone, I'm sure you can get a gist for how I feel. I'm not selling Garrett Cole um, in a dynasty league. Obviously, you're not doing anything with him in a redraft league, but um, I think he's going to be fine next year. I'll still be drafting him as a top three starting pitcher. Um, maybe my number one overall, but we'll have to see how he finishes the year. So how are you feeling on Garrett Cole, Chris? I think that my concern for Cole is a little bit higher than yours. Um, not much, much higher, but I do think that I have some legitimate concern. I mean, this is the number one undisputed fantasy ace going into draft day 2020. And to tell me that he's amongst Matt Boyd when we're talking about home runs allowed, that's, ri- that's ridiculously scary to me. Um, I said at the beginning of our podcast, like I think in the very first episode when we were analyzing starting pitchers, I had Scherzer above Cole, which, you know, it, it's, I don't know if it was a mistake this year, but I I don't know if it was exactly what I was trying to say. But what I was trying to say was that I don't know if Garrett Cole is going to be that undisputed number one ace pitching in Yankee Stadium. Um, He's pitching in Yankee Stadium and he's also allowing batters to barrel up the ball over 10 percent of the time. That's never been the case for his career, even when he's been bad. It's just it's a little bit scary to say that this guy was like, the number one dude, like not even a question. And to say that he's having this level of struggles is a little bit scary. I don't know if I'm looking to sell him um, for, for the cheap, cheap, but I wouldn't necessarily be turning away trade offers that I feel like were fair in value. Does that make sense? Sure. So give me an idea of like a package that you would accept for Cole in a dynasty league. If somebody were to send me, let's see about this. How about this? And, and let's say let's say you're rebuilding, right? Because why else would you yep. be trading Garrett Cole realistically? So you're rebuilding yep. Dynasty League, no keeper restrictions. Yep. What are you trading Garrett Cole for? If somebody offered me something like Ian Anderson, Javier Baez, and Wander Franco, do you, are you gonna Whoa. like? Are you gonna like shun away that trade in a dynasty league? But do you? I don't think that that trade is a ridiculous trade on either end. Um, I don't think that's getting offered to you in a dynasty. Um, but if it is, I, I I think I would I would, I would definitely first of all, if I was rebuilding, I would definitely take it without question. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're getting a starting pitcher with ace upside. You're getting a middle infielder with some trade value, and you're getting top prospect in baseball. I mean, it's it, it's definitely hard to come up with a, a, a trade on the spot. I'm trying to think of one myself, but I I'll always listen on all my players. I just wouldn't be actively looking to move Garrett Cole, thinking like, oh man, his value is only going to go down from here. I think he's plenty talented. It's his first year in pinstripes. There's a lot of pressure, even though there's no fans with the biggest contract of starting pitchers ever received. And look, home runs have been a problem for him in the past. Um, last year, he was in the bottom 30 in home runs per nine. Funny enough, of course, Matt Boyd le- led that category last year as well. 
Um, but the home runs were an issue. So they got worse this year for sure. I think, you know, he's a talented enough pitcher. He can make the adjustments and get that number back down. Um, and as soon as he begins to cut down on that, I think everything else will come with it. Like, uh, you know, the strikeouts, he's, who can maintain 300 strikeouts per season? Like he's, he's not going to continue to do that, but I still think he can produce at ACE level value. He's not old. Um, I would be, I'd be in on Garrett Cole. I'm looking for that number right now. Yeah. He gave up 29 homers last year. That's a lot. 29 homers and 33 starts for a guy who probably should have won the Cy Young award. That's, that's a lot. I would agree with you there, but I will say that his ex batting average against, um, shows a little bit of regression, positive regression heading his way. So maybe, you know, he'll start missing a little bit more bats that have just been hit out of the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, I'm, I'm still in on him. So let's take a turn, Chris, and start talking about some injuries. Um, first of all, let me just run through some quick updates. Max Kepler, Gio Urshela, Justin Turner, they will all be returning from the IL very quickly. Um, Ozzy Albies has started taking batting practice as he continues to battle his way back from a wrist injury. Bo Bichette could return as soon as he faced reliever Ken Giles in a simulated game on Saturday. He's been out with a knee sprain. I'm not sure how that simulated game went, but that is what he was scheduled to do. Alex Bregman should be back any moment. Manager Dusty Baker said that he expects Bregman back for their upcoming series against Oakland, which begins tomorrow. They're going to be very cautious with him as they should be with a hamstring injury. Um, But Bregman himself said he feels 100%. So the hamstring feels great, and he is ready to go. Aaron Judge has, quote, resumed baseball activities, if I had a dollar for every time I read that sentence. Um, so that's kind of the notes of it all. But I've, I want to put you on the spot for two guys, Chris. Um, Chris and I play in ESPN leagues. And, Chris, we just lost actually three players because uh, the news on Teoscar Hernandez hit earlier today. Let's start with Anthony Santander. And actually, we can loop – Teoscar Hernandez in with him because they're both outfielders. So Santander is likely done for the remainder of the fantasy season with an oblique injury. Um, Teoscar Hernandez's was, was that groin? Do you know? I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that Santander is actually out for the remainder of the MLB season with his oblique injury. It's pretty bad. Right. Okay. So Teoscar was rib. um, And yeah, yeah. Santander is going to be, I mean, when you see oblique injury, for a hitter or a pitcher, definitely a hitter. I mean, they're they're toast. It's not a season ender in most cases. Obviously, we're at the end of the season, but it's a it's a long injury. That was what the judge dealt with last year. So anyway, Chris, in ESPN leagues, who is a, an outfielder owned in less than seventy percent of ESPN standard leagues that you're looking to replace Santander or Teoscar Hernandez with? Because Santander and Hernandez have been outstanding for you to this point. So we've brought him up on the podcast before, but I'm going to finally start backing up Clint Frazier. Um, he's owned in, I want to say, less than. Oh, le- oh they're, both of my guys that I have to replace are owned in less than 45% of leagues. So I think that Clint Frazier is actually owned in like 33% of leagues. Um, we don't know when Aaron Judge is going to be back. Um, I don't know. Has there been any update on Stanton either? Um, I, if I remember correctly, it's, it's like the same exact thing as, um, judge where it's like baseball activities. He might even be further away. I'm not sure. Okay. So even if they both return, you know, Brett Gardner is not a really good baseball player and I I just don't really have that much faith in Aaron Hicks either, except for his defensive capabilities, um, which, you know, Yankees will probably, but they, the Yankees will probably want to utilize, but they'll still have the DH available as well. And now that Gary Sanchez isn't hitting either, he's going to be having some 
um, plate appearances that he would normally DH at being taken away from him. So I think that the play time is there for Clint Frazier. And the one thing we know about Clint Frazier is he likes to hit the ball extremely hard. On Baseball Savant, it says right now that his hard hit percentage is 50%. He's hitting the ball hard half of the times that he's hitting the ball. That's ridiculous. And yes, it's going to come down, but that is ridiculous for a player that is owned in 33, I think, or 35% of leagues. Um, so go out to the waiver wire. If Clint Frazier's still on there, just give him an ad and replace him with um, replace Santander or um, Teoscar and don't really have any worries about it. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Frazier fan myself. I think the Yankees were smart in not trading him away, although I'm sure they were tempted to move him, and they really need him with all those injuries they're experiencing. So Frazier as a replacement for Santander or Hernandez, you know, and like we say every week, you can't replace the value that Santander or Hernandez were giving you, especially Hernandez, who was on like an MVP pace. You can just hope to bridge the gap and hope the rest of your team picks up the slack um, but I think Frazier has just as much upside as those two guys. So who knows, maybe he does replace exactly what they were giving you. Um, what about Jose Altuve, Chris, second baseman for the Astros? He was placed on the IL with what an MRI revealed as only a knee sprain. He shouldn't be out long, but I mean, we're at the end of the season here. So, and if they're as cautious with him as they were with, as they're going to be with Bregman, and you can expect days off, stuff like that. Who are you going to fill in for Jose Altuve, who unlike Santander and Hernandez, he really hasn't given you much this year to begin with. Is there a second baseman owned in less than 70% of leagues who you are targeting to replace Jose Altuve for the rest of 2020? Yes, there is. And it's another Hernandez. It's Cesar Hernandez of the Indians. I think that he would be a perfectly fine replacement for Jose Altuve, given what you just said, which is that Jose, Jose Altuve has not really given you too much this season. And what Cesar Hernandez has given you is arguably better than what Jose Altuve has given you. Cesar is a great source of contact. Uh, contact he walks a ton if you count him that's great but it's also just great for runs and um stuff like that and then he's gonna he's gonna garner a decent amount of runs because he hits leadoff behind joe ram and lindor um so i don't i don't see what's not to like about replacing altuve with somebody like cesar hernandez who yeah is pretty boring and he's owned in less than 45 percent of uh, leagues for like a reason but he's just he's gonna get the hits that you need to like win your weekly matchups or just put you over the edge in your roto leagues. And, you know, he's going to occasionally hit a home run very occasionally. He's going to very occasionally, maybe he hasn't stolen any bases this year, but you know, maybe he gets you one or two for the rest of the season. And that's really all Altuve was doing. So um, yeah, I think that Cesar Hernandez is, is a perfectly fine replacement for Altuve. Nice. Yeah, I like that. I think Hernandez kind of gives you what you were hoping to get from Altuve, but there's a guy who I think more his stat line more reflects what you were hoping to get from Jose Altuve, and that's Donovan Solano. He's still only owned somehow in 59% of ESPN leagues, and that's actually down. That makes um, me mad. Went, that just makes me mad. Sure. I, I agree. Um, he went three for three today with a homer uh, in two RBI, but he's hitting 328 on the year. Not a lot of power, not a lot of speed. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about in the past, Altuve's speed kind of disappeared last year. It was his power that went way up. So the fact that he's, you know, a high average, high OBP guy, he does have 25 RBI in that red hot Giants offense. Um, I think he would be a pretty solid replacement for those of you who've lost Jose Altuve. 
Um, if Solano's not available, I think Garrett Hampson's another good choice. He's owned in about 34% of leagues, obviously playing in cores. Um, he's, he's beginning to etch out some play time for himself. He had a stretch earlier in the week where he went sixth for 12 with three homers, three RBI, and four runs. So I think he's another solid option. Really doesn't strike out too much. Um, Garrett Hampson, another pretty solid choice there. So let's pivot away from the injuries, Chris. Um, and let's start talking fantasy season awards because our fantasy regular season comes to an end in a few hours. So let's first get rookie of the year out of the way. Now we're not going to do Cy Young because like the, there's no difference, right? Like there can be a fantasy MVP who's very different from the, um, you know, MLB regular season MVP, but Cy Young, like best pitcher is the best pitcher. So we're not going to do Cy Young, but rookie of the year for fantasy and MVP for fantasy for the 2020 season. Chris, who are you thinking for rookie of the year? I think that anybody that's not thinking Luis Robert is a little bit crazy. Don't you? Um, I, Wow. Who do you, who do you, let me ask you, who do you have that you would put like maybe to contend with him? Kyle Lewis, for sure. Um, That's a fair point. I think if the season ended right now, I think Kyle Lewis would absolutely beat Luis Robert for rookie of the year in the American league. I think for fantasy though, I'm probably going to go Robert because stolen bases are just so hard to find. Um, and you know, Robert strikes out a lot, whereas Lewis has cut down on his strikeouts tremendously. And Lewis does walk a lot. Those things don't really matter for most fantasy leagues, whereas speed does. Now, look, I say speed, Lewis, Robert only has two more steals than Kyle Lewis. So I don't know. This is, this is a really tough one. Um, but I think I will actually go with Robert, especially since the season is, I mean, our regular season's over, but the regular season for MLB has a few weeks left. And I think when we look at the final tally for fantasy statistics we're probably going to like what Luis robert brought to the table more but the difference in batting average is almost 50 points so it is by no means a slam dunk for Luis robert that is a fair point and i think that i i feel like i would if kyle lewis was here right now i would just need to like issue him a formal apology because he has been an absolute (laughs) monster this year um i do think that you know, both you and I would agree that at the end of the year, like if we're looking at each one's line, I think that Roberts is a little bit more appealing to me, despite even the huge gap in batting average. Um, but it is closer than I initially kind of stated. Um, I think I would still go with Luis Robert and I would definitely go with Luis Robert over Kyle Lewis in any league format, shape, size, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that Kyle Lewis definitely did a great job of making us remember his name for next year. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so yeah, I think we can both vote for Luis Robert. I mean, it is worth noting, you know, Robert hasn't beaten RBI. He hasn't beaten homers. He hasn't beaten stolen bases. So yeah, the gap in batting average is huge. I just think it is close. Like you said, between Lewis and Robert. Um, but yeah, I think we're in agreement. We both take Robert. So what about fantasy MVP? Not AL MVP, not NL MVP, but the fantasy MVP. And Chris and I are going to tie in average draft position to this pick because ultimately that's where the value comes from, right? Like, you know, Mike Trout and Ronald Acuna have been terrific, but are they the fantasy MVP? No, probably not because you got them with the first or second overall pick. 
they st- it's not to take them out of the running completely. Look, if Trout hit 60 homers in 60 games, I think no matter when you took him, he'd be the MVP. Um, but who were you thinking for fantasy MVP in 2020, Chris, based really on ADP and overall production? I think that based on ADP and overall production, the ADP part of it, it's going to sound a little weird because he was taken relatively high in drafts this year. But Fernando Tatis Jr. just has to be the fantasy MVP for this year. Just in terms of like you could just count his production alone and just be like, okay, that's good enough. But you tie in the fact that this guy was a maybe first round pick and he's outperforming every other first round pick and like then some. He's just, he's blowing me away nightly i mean he just hit his what 16th bomb um this is a dude who is 21 years old and he's plays the shortstop position and he plays that position exquisitely also so he's just like the the ceiling is just i can't even really see it at this point for fernando tatis jr um and he's showing us this year with his production that he deserves to be our 2020 mvp i think yes he's just crazy 16 homers like seven steals 313 average and he's he walks like you know it's just it's just a great thing to see i think i think he's only at 15 homers but by the end of the sentence he'll probably be at 16 Um, well he hit one today so i don't he did hit one today i don't know if that if the 15 was his number from yesterday or today um now but he did hit one today for what it's worth because he yeah, did. the one he hit today, I believe, was his fifteenth. Oh. Um, but I mean, regardless, he's we're playing a sixty-game season. He's got fifty hits. Um, that's not too bad. He's batting three hundred seven. Um, and and people really thought his batting average couldn't remain high because of his strikeout rate. Um, and clearly, he's he's proven those people wrong. Look, Tatis Jr. is terrific. I really went heavy on the ADP part of this though, because he was sixteen overall ADP, which means he's in twelve-team leagues. He's a pretty early second rounder. Um, but you're right. I mean, he he still outperformed everybody in front of him. I have no issue with taking him for fantasy MVP. But I went with a guy who in many leagues may have gone like undrafted. Um, uh, probably maybe not undrafted, but definitely outside the top 150. Mike Yastrzemski has an AD, had an ADP of 157 on ESPN this year. Um, and he not only learned how to take a walk, but he's walking. He's an on-base monster. Mike Yastrzemski's OBP right now is 412. He's swatted eight homers. 27 RBI. He's chipped in a pair of steals. Um, 32 runs in that red hot Giants offense. He's currently riding a five game hit streak. I really like Mike Yastrzemski. I think Yastrzemski is the type of guy who like can bail you out of that catastrophic injury that your team experienced or can, you know, if you lost Aaron Judge in the what second week of the season or whatever it was. But as long as you had Mike Yastrzemski, you've essentially replaced that. Maybe not the homers, but just the overall value to your offense he's given you. Um, so with an ADP of 160, it was tough to ignore, or 156, it was tough to ignore. I mean, Teoscar Hernandez is definitely in this running. Guys like Kyle Tucker, Ian Happ, who we've talked about, Conforta, Lewis, all of them deserve some consideration. Perhaps none more than Fernando Tatis Jr., but I wanted to give some credit to Mike Yastrzemski because what he's done this year in San Francisco is incredible. Yes, it is nothing short of incredible. And I'm regretting the day that your brother literally messaged us in the chat and was just like, should I add Mike Yastrzemski? And I was like, yeah, John, he's going to hit off, hit lead off for the Giants. That's not like, why didn't I just listen to myself? <laughs> yeah, if I did all the things that I recommended to other people, I would probably win more than I do. But uh, alas, you know, Fair when, enough. 
what's the phrase I'm looking for when you're put your money where your mouth is? Maybe that's what it was. Something um, like I don't that. Do that as much. Right. Um, all right. So Chris's fantasy MVP, Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't think anybody would ever argue with that. Mine is Mike Yastrzemski with that ADP of 157. That's what it is. Rookie of the year. We agree. Luis Robert. We're going to head into our final segment of the Pitch Count Podcast, which is where Chris and I recommend one hitter and one pitcher that are owned in less than 70% of ESPN leagues for this upcoming week. So, Chris, lead us off. Who's your hitter for this upcoming week? So, my hitter coming up for this week is going to be Corey Dickerson of the Miami Marlins, um, who just had a nice day, I think, yesterday with uh, another home run. Um, he's up to six total on a season that he hasn't played entirely healthy. Um, the Marlins have nine games next week, and I do expect him to be a very <laughs> focal part of the lineup. There's three teams that have nine games next week, which is just ridiculous, and Miami's one of them. And they are they are fighting for a playoff bid and also just to like get their fans ready for the future, potentially, in Miami. I mean, they just called up Jazz Chisholm. Um, they acquired Starling Marte. So they have some people in the lineup aside from the guys that have been producing so far this year. They've, you know, added a couple more bats to the equation to maybe produce some more runs. And Dickerson, I think that he even let off today, I want to say. So if he's leading off in front of a guy like Starling Marte, I like that a lot for the production value. Um, his stat cast sliders are not that great. And by not that great, I mean, they're pretty pretty terrible um he doesn't seem to be hitting the ball extremely hard um his exit velocity is in the 14th percentile which is not a very good number at all um but he doesn't strike out ever he strikes out less than like around like 15 percent of the time he can take a walk um he can get on base a decent amount and you know you just i think that at this point volume is going to be your friend and with a guy that's playing nine games potentially lead off in front of some decent bats um, I would take the chance on Corey. I actually, I am taking the chance on both of my picks this year. So, or this week. Um, so I'll let you know how they turn out. <laughs> well, I'd be curious to see if, if Dickerson sits against any of the lefties that they get this week, but otherwise, you know, I, I like the pick. You can't argue. I mean, even if he sits a couple of games, if they have nine games, he's still playing like a full week's worth of games. On top of that, I, I don't care so much about the stat cast sliders for a guy. He just has 115 at bats this year. So it's tough to really, you know, one bad slump takes him out of any, any opportunity to have those look even remotely decent. You know, in his last full season in 2018, his sliders were a lot more kind. Um, so I, for one week, I'd absolutely take the chance on Corey Dickerson. I went with, a guy who broke out in 2017 and then disappeared, but looks like he's back. Jonathan Scope is owned in 63% of ESPN leagues. He has seven games this week. Um, I think three against Milwaukee, two against the Cardinals in a doubleheader as the Cardinals try to make up all those games they missed. And then uh, four against the White Sox to finish the week. He sits safely in six of his last seven games. He's hitting over 300. He looks like he did. In 2017, he's hitting homers and everything else. That whole Detroit offense has had some nice surprises there with guys like Scope and Victor Reyes. Um, I like Scope. He does get – it does look like he's going to get Flaherty in that short series against the Cardinals, and he's going to get Giolito against the White Sox. But it's it's not so much a thing about Matt. I think Scope can just hit. I think he's locked in this year. 
with a full slate of games, like you said, volume is king. Um, so Jonathan Scope, I think he's going to have a pretty nice week, at least in terms of volume. Chris, for pitchers, what were you thinking? Um, I'm thinking – I think that he's a guy that you actually took um, a little bit, like maybe like a couple of weeks back. But I'm looking at Adrian Hauser this week for the Brewers. Um, I know that he's he's got one start, but he might line up for two. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work out this week. But he definitely faces Detroit. And um, your boy Jonathan Scope, he's one of the leaders of it. But Detroit is a is a lineup that handles left-handed pitching extremely well and right-handed pitching not so great. And it does work out that Hauser is a righty. Um, Detroit's lineup is not that good in general, despite having some new kind of key components to their lineup. It's still not exactly clicking on all cylinders. Um, it, it's been a little bit hot of late, but I, I do still feel comfortable streaming pitchers against offenses of like Detroit's caliber. So I think that, you know, he limits his exit velocity pretty well. Hauser does and his hard hit percentage pretty well also. Um, so if you don't have the, op- as much opportunity for like your Jonathan scopes or your Victor Reyes is to like hit those home runs. Um, I think that it, it lends itself to a pretty good opportunity for Hauser this week against Detroit. Nice. I like it. Um, you know, I am a pretty big Hauser fan myself. Um, and yeah, I mean, I said nice things about Detroit, but at the end of the day, that's one of the offenses that you're looking to stream against. Like you said, extreme ground ball pitcher, uh, like Adrian Hauser. I like it. I'm going, I was going to go with Andrew Heaney, but I kind of felt like that's cheating. There's no way that even tomorrow he's owned in less than 70% of leagues. I think he's owned in like 68%. So instead I'm going with a guy who we thought at the beginning of the year was going to be one of the most elite relievers in baseball. And I'm going to go with Seth Lugo uh, versus the Blue Jays in Buffalo this week. It's either Wednesday or Thursday. Um, He's working his pitch count up, and that's really all that's keeping him back. He just pitched a great game. I can't forget. I I keep forgetting who it was against. But it was like five innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts. He's he's posting a career high in strikeouts per nine at 12.68. The Blue Jays don't strike out too much. And as good as Teoscar Hernandez is, he's like one of their biggest strikeout guys. So take him out of the lineup, and they strike out even less. But take out Teoscar Hernandez. They're also a worse offense. So as Seth Lugo begins to work his pitch count back up, um, he might be able to get to six innings with awesome K numbers against Toronto this week. And a guy who's owned, and I, I forget what the percentage is. I want to say it's like 40 or 50% of leagues. He could be a steal this week and going forward. Like he might be the type of guy who, unlike Hauser, where you, you, you hopefully get a good start against the Tigers and then you drop him. If you're able to add Seth Lugo, you might just own him for the rest of the year because he's such a talented pitcher. I agree with that, yeah. So, uh, Chris, that pretty much wraps it up for me. It's been a beautiful, short, regular season. As you guys probably assume, Chris and I are going to continue the podcast onward. It doesn't matter that our fantasy regular season is over. Um, So, with that said, this is the Pitch Count Podcast. Signing out. See you next time.